لانه هجوني بعد ما يعني قال انه انا ايش عم بتخيل ما ادري دق اخر شيء ايفن توداي ذا ريسكيو تيم سيد ذير از نوثينغ اي كيبت سكريمينغ بت نوبادي كود هير مي The uncle said, "No, there is someone. I could hear the hear his scream." Then they go that way, and they found him. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, where we take you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and you just heard from an earthquake survivor who was buried alive during the two back-to-back earthquakes that rocked Turkey at the beginning of February. More than 46,000 people were killed, and tens of thousands more were injured. And today, we want you to hear more of his story firsthand. We can't share his real name for security purposes, so we'll call him Mehmet. He's just 14 years old, and it's truly a miracle that he survived. But before we tell you more of his story, I want to introduce you to Mel Wubbs, the hospital director of our emergency field hospital. You were one of the first on the ground, you know, conducting assessments and setting up the hospital. Um, so can you just share where are we serving and why was there a need to set up a hospital in Antakya? Yeah, so we're here in Antakya, southeast Turkey. Um, so this is an area that's actually a little bit south of where the epicenter was, but um, is situated right along the fault line. So because of that, the damage here has been been extensive, um, including to the healthcare system. So we were requested by the Ministry of Health to set up our emergency field hospital in support of the state system, uh, which has been completely over overwhelmed. Um, we are supporting a what was an originally a 1,000-bed hospital, which is completely non-functional uh, due to damage caused by the earthquake. So uh, they requested that we come in with the field hospital to be able to provide um, immediate care, um, both to victims of the earthquake and then to continue to provide health care services in the area. And I can't imagine just the the damage, having no facility anymore, having to send patients elsewhere. And, you know, I heard you mention that that's even more devastating because then these patients are far away from family and loved ones. So this allows people to be served in their communities, you know, around their friends and family. So to keep people stable and local is so important. So talk to me about now the the hospital is up and operating. It was, you know, within hours, you had so many patients, you're being flooded. Uh, What have you been seeing and what are the needs uh, that the patients are coming in with? Yeah, so we continue to see even today patients uh, suffering injuries that were um, occurred on February 6th. So uh, crushed hands, feet, um, open wounds and broken bones, Um, people who um, didn't immediately seek care because their injury was not so extensive. Um, they uh, they focused on other priorities, um, whether, whether that being staying by the home uh, that they were to search for loved ones, um, feeling that their wound, their injury was not devastating enough to uh, seek care. But also, they also knew that there was no place to go. They knew that people were just being triaged um, and referred onwards. So because of that, Now that we're here, we're open, we're receiving, yes, patients by ambulance, but we're also open to patients who bring themselves here by either on foot or by private car. Uh, We're starting to see kind of these range of moderate injuries that honestly now are becoming worse. The wounds are open, they're infected, um, they they can no longer just be closed by primary closure. They're having to go to the OR to be debrided, um, and we're just seeing 
um, worsening complications from untreated injuries that happen the day of the earthquake. We're also seeing people um, who have chronic conditions like diabetes, high blood pressure. Um, they haven't had access to their medications uh, because their medications uh, are in their damaged homes, which they cannot access and uh, things that occur from underlying illnesses not being treated. Mel, I know you've been on many responses, so you've seen just darkness and devastation many times, but what impact has this response had on you? And as you mentioned, you know, people have been living with these injuries for days and then there's been aftershocks. So just the trauma upon trauma for many of these patients is overwhelming. So can you just share, I guess, what has impacted you from this response? Yeah, I think what has impacted me in this response for one has just been the magnitude of it. Um, it's impacted the lives of every single person here in this region. Um, we'll have patients coming in and they're here for an injury or they're here for their illness and they'll be telling you about their illness. You'll be treating them and halfway through, they'll just break down. Um, their daughter died. Their father died. Um, everybody here has lost someone um, and everybody here has lost essentially their life, their lifestyle, their community, their job, their business. Um, it's just impacted every part of their life. Um, and I think that is overwhelming for them and for us as we're here to help treat them. Because well, we can re meet the needs medically, we can meet the needs emotionally, spiritually, we can minister to them. Um, there's not a there's not a structure, there's not a system. Uh, set up to support them once we discharge them from here. And I think that's been overwhelming to me as uh, we seek to care holistically for people and to um, set them up on their way to recovery, um, not just from their health issue, but for recovery from this disaster um, and onwards in their life. Um, that's, I think, been overwhelming um, and just makes us very grateful that we're here. We're able to meet a very important need. We're able to um, provide this for them where there is no other place. Um, but I think it's also just, yeah, a little bit overwhelming to just know that their future has been so impacted by these events. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine, as you mentioned, you know, everyone has lost someone. Everyone has been impacted in some way, whether it's physical loss or, or as you mentioned, family, friends. I mean, people have just lost so much. So there's so much devastation and I'm sure it's heartbreaking and hard. But also, you know, you're reminded that in this loss and in this tragedy, you can bring hope and you can bring healing. Um, and, and I just even feel like, you know, I love Proverbs 69, you know, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. And I love the way that God, you know, we make plans as an organization, but the Lord directs. And even the way that he provided this facility, you know, this parking lot with a field and and more room to to manage and to get um to get what we need and access. Um, I feel like the the place has been, you know, provided by God. But how else have you seen God direct your steps? Yeah, I think his plans are better than ours and he has he has created the path for us to walk in. I think of the partner that Samaritan's Purse has here in Turkey that has allowed us to work uh so efficiently and effectively um was a partner for the past many many years um and having that relationship developed um and in place has allowed Samaritan's Purse to act very quickly. Having a local partner here has definitely been an incredible blessing to that. But 
when I also think of just how overwhelming it's been, and honestly, when I'm in the city center um, seeing, sorry, just block after block mm. of crumpled homes, crumpled buildings, um, and people standing, um, watching the rescue crews, waiting desperately for any sign of life, um, any hope that their family is still alive. Um, it can be overwhelming. Um, but one thing that we do here um, that I talk to the staff about every day, um, we read from Psalm 27, verse 13, know that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, wait and have courage. And just that's a promise from God that we will see his goodness no matter uh, where we are. And we do. We make ourselves look for the goodness of, of the Lord and retell that uh, to each other, to name the things where we're seeing God work, whether that is a patient interaction, whether that's a supplier that came through with something that we have been praying for, um, whether it's healing um, or just a moment of connection with a uh, um, patient, because even though the devastation here is of a proportion that's unimaginable, the Lord is here. Um, his goodness is here, and we just need to open our eyes and see it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, it's encouraging to hear how the Lord is sustaining you. You know, and you're right; it's a choice. It's it's lifting our eyes from our circumstances and and what's in front of us to the Lord. You know, I love Psalm 121. I lift my eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it's encouraging to hear that our team, you know, that you all are staying grounded in God's word, reminded of why you're there. In the midst of such tragedy, loss, and heartache, there are also miracles. And one of those miracles is found in the story of a 14-year-old boy. You heard Mamet's voice at the beginning of the episode. He was pulled out of the rubble after being buried alive for eight days. His story is absolutely heartbreaking. Steven, one of our podcast correspondents, was able to talk to him at the emergency field hospital. Who all is in your family? He, he had a mother, father, and uh, three other siblings. Yeah. Where are they right now? They're all dead. Uh, he says all of them are like still in a building, the, but he said like the moment the earthquake happened, mother and father died, he said. Uh, but for one day he could hear the brother, but right after like that, uh, one day the brother said, I need to go. Like he actually told him that he is dying. So he knows all of them are dead. The sister was eight years old and he was holding her hand. And like he was aware that she's dead. He's he said he witnessed how his siblings die, like how uh, because like the brother was talking and then like suddenly something happened to him. He said, and he he said I was aware that that time he was dying. So I'm so sorry for what you've lost. Do you remember when the earthquake happened? Do you remember what happened when your house fell? He says first he he heard the birds and he, he woke up and he said, I woke up but I couldn't do anything. My He said my father was running to us but that time the, the building started to like fall off. And he said, I hold my sister hand but my brother also fell. 
So he said, that time I was aware that my father died and my mother died. So, uh, then he, he could talk to his brother and for one day he could hear the brother. But the sister, he said first her hands were like warm, then it started getting colder and she didn't speak at all. That's what happened, she said, he says. It is so hard to listen to Mehmet, just a teenager, tell his dramatic story. I have a 14-year-old daughter, and I cannot imagine her uh, living and surviving eight days knowing her entire family was killed in this earthquake. I'm so thankful that his uncle really pushed the search and rescue to find his body. He knew and believed that he was alive. Dr. Chris Bradenberg, working in the emergency room, he helped treat Mehmet, and he gave Stephen an update. So he, he spent eight days, obviously, in, in the rubble, and... Uh, Seems to be doing amazingly well. Just has some musculoskeletal complaints, and he obviously is very dehydrated and, and weak overall. Um, but uh, he he's aware mentally and, and uh, knows that his mom, his dad, and his two siblings uh, perished in the uh, earthquake. So he's here with his uncle, who's uh, given us that history. Okay, fourteen years old. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't either. I can't imagine. Yeah, I don't know. Mehmet still doesn't believe that he was under the rubble for eight days. He was convinced that it was only one day. And I think that that had to be a way of God's grace, helping him survive the tragedy against all odds and allowing those eight days to go by quickly. He said that while he was waiting for rescue, he had dreams of his family bringing him food. He says it's Angel. So he said, I was dreaming that my mother was bringing me like oranges to eat. But he says it was dream. I know it was dream. Like I cannot eat, but he kept dreaming. He says the, the earthquake happened a day ago. Like it, it like it did it wasn't like seven days ago. He doesn't believe. Even I told him it was seven days ago, but he keeps saying no. It it was just one day. I, I kept screaming but nobody could hear me. And even to even today, um, the rescue team said there's nothing. But the uncle said no, there is someone. I could hear the hear his scream. Then they go that way and they found him. Praise God for his uncle's determination and commitment to search. On the eighth day, when the search and rescue team showed up with body bags, he refused to give up hope. Today, they actually went there to collect the bodies, the dead bodies. So they even, like, you know, uh, we, we have this, like, white uh, fabric to cover dead bodies. We call it kefan. He says we even prepared this for, for him, too, because we were sure that he is dead. What did you feel like when you felt your uncle and the rescue team coming to get you when you realized you might get out alive? What did that feel like? He says first, uh, when I heard the like uh, planes and like vehicle, I, I, I said like, yeah, I'm dead. I'm definitely dead. Uh, I survived like this much, but now I'm dead, he said. And then uh, when they found him, he saw his uncle first and then he screamed his name. Like he was completely conscious and he says, I'm so, like so happy. It's a miracle that you survived. We say it's a miracle because it's been like eight days. He says, no, it's been a day. Mehmet may never understand or wrap his mind around the hours or the days that he spent in the rubble. But at this point, it doesn't matter. What matters is that he's survived. But my heart is burdened for him because the trauma and healing is now beginning. God spared his life, and he came to the emergency field hospital extremely dehydrated and malnourished. And this is something that our teams could treat. 
But he's starting to recover physically, and we know that he has a long road ahead of him as he grieves the loss of his family and heals from this traumatic event. I truly couldn't imagine losing your home and your family in just one day. But in the midst of suffering, I pray that he comes to know the ultimate healer, Jesus Christ. And that is why our teams go in, to comfort as an overflow of God's comfort to them. I love 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 that says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And I'm truly grateful that Mamet got to experience the love of Jesus through our doctors and nurses. And I pray that the comfort and care that he received at the hospital continues long after he's released. Next, I want to introduce you to Kaylise. She's one of the nurses working at our field hospital, and she shares how this response is so different. For me, this one is hard because uh, just seeing how everyone is affected and it's whole families at a time— Although we see it as numbers often when we see it on the news, these are people's faces, these are people's family members, and the Lord has just been showing me uh, love each person that's just right in front of you, I think, because it's often easy to get really overwhelmed by how many people, again, you're hearing so many numbers, so many people are coming in, and just that reminder of love the person in front of you, and that's what we're called to do, and it's been just encouraging even today, even as I was giving a medication, just to be reminded of praying for patients. Um, So yeah, just the Lord has been reminding me to continue just to take those little moments to pray for people. Over the years, I've heard so many of our team members echo this. In the aftermath of disasters, we're often surrounded by tens of thousands of people in desperate need. But you can't let that magnitude and gravity uh, paralyze you. You have to focus on the people God has put right in front of you and pray for opportunities to demonstrate His love through action. My husband, Edward, spent several days on the ground with our team in Turkey. He shared how hard it was to see the destruction firsthand and the long road to recovery that is ahead for the country of Turkey. It's been completely devastating to go down there and look at the destruction. Either every building is destroyed or it's going to have to come down, the whole city. Um, you know, I've heard reports anywhere from a million, 1.2 million that live here, um, but the whole city's destroyed and just complete devastation and destruction. It's hard to watch, and you realize that there's families in these buildings completely crumbled. Um, how many lives were lost? The numbers keep going up between here and Syria, but it's it's heartbreaking to watch it. You know, I've been in combat a good portion of my life, and I've seen destruction, but I've never seen destruction like that. I've seen hurricanes, you know, completely dis- destroy cities. Um, but what you don't see is something, even in war, even in, this, in the footage you saw of World War II where they were, you know, destroying entire cities by bombing, those would take weeks, months to destroy like this. This happened in seconds. And, and to see this happen, then another one come in. And so survivors and, and responders um, were called in that. And now you still have aftershocks. This morning we had one. Uh, we've had one last night. And you know that's going to create more damage. But to go downtown and see this city just toppled, people going through the rubble, uh, responders looking for people, the stench, the smell, it's heartbreaking. As Edward said, it's absolutely heartbreaking. But we praise God that we were able to be there in Jesus' name. 
God's given us this capability, these resources to be able to respond. These are people that are literally in the ditches and the gutters of the world right now. But God has given us this capability, and we can go love our neighbors uh, during a time just like this. It's, it's humbling to watch and be a part of, to see doctors, nurses from all over the U.S., Canada, Australia, the U.K. We've got uh, electricians, water specialists coming from all over. Uh, the disaster assistant response team in the DART is pretty awesome to watch them and work and do this. Since Edward has returned home, our prayers have become more specific. He now has faces and names of people to pray for. My prayer for our response here is that we're obedient to God. And uh, he brought us here. And for the reasons and we don't know. And a lot of this can just be seed planting. But this is where God's brought us. So I pray for the team and the staff that we're faithful to the gospel and our mission. Um, that we can bless Turkey and its people by loving them and serving them unconditionally, no matter what, no matter who they are, where they are. And this is just like the story of the Good Samaritan. Turkey's in the ditch right now just because of this devastation, this natural disaster. So I think it's an opportunity to be a blessing. So that my prayer is that we're faithful. It's my prayer for, for Turkey, um, that they would feel the love and peace of God um, and that God would help them heal. Uh, from this devastation. I love that. Pray that we're faithful to what God has called us to do. Mel also shared ways that we can be praying. So finally, how can we be praying uh, for for your team, but also the, the people that you're ministering to there in Turkey? Yeah, I think, first of all, praying for the people here um, who have suffered um, a lot of loss, a lot of trauma, um, just that they're hearts would be open, um, that the love and care that we're showing to them here, that they would recognize that that comes from love for them, um, just as image bearers of God, and just that the love of Christ would flow through us to them, um, and that they would be able to uh, find hope in that. I would also ask for a prayer for our staff. Um, It's a very challenging environment here, not only to live and work in, um, but to um, care for these patients every day, to hear their stories, to carry that burden with them. It's a privilege um, to walk alongside of them, but it's also heavy um, to carry that burden and Mm. to care for these people. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Mel, for taking the time. Is there anything else you want to share on behalf of your team or or what what you're seeing that we didn't talk about? The other thing I would add is they notice, they see that we're different. Um, I get comments from uh, the Turkish team that we're working here with just almost daily um, comments on the joy that they see on people's faces, the um, the peace that they have. And the other day, one of the doctors was like, you are all suffering from heart failure, uh, which uh is caused by too big of a heart for medical terms. He said, all of your staff, your hearts are so big. You must be suffering from heart failure. Um, Just the love and the care that you show. Um, The patients also have expressed their gratitude and just how, how well they feel cared for, how well they feel heard and listened to um, and just are incredibly grateful that we're here to care for them. Having been on the ground at some of our emergency field hospitals, uh, this comment made me smile. I I know exactly what this doctor is saying. Our teams truly love each patient so well. They're not just caring for their physical needs. They go far beyond to show them the love of Jesus. 
And in every response, their love is so evident to everyone who comes in contact with our teams. They truly live out 1 John 3, 16-18 that says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. As Edward and Mel both share, please be praying for our teams in Turkey as they work long and hard hours. But also pray for our patients and the people of Turkey. Pray that they will experience God's love through our team. Thank you so much, and God bless you.